the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses read. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Uh, it's the first time you've heard the show. You know, welcome aboard. This show is in a couple of different parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. The idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate. And in today's world, it's very, very important to avoid probate because the court system is moving very, very slowly because of COVID. And as far as elder law is concerned, we're trying to save assets from nursing home bills. Now, one of the ways we try to save assets from nursing home bills is look at some of the alternatives. And one of the things we like to do for a lot of families suggest is to talk about home care Medicaid. And I think that's going to be the first part of our discussion today. And we have, you know, I think she's on every week now, or at least it seems like that to me, Nicole Donnelly. (laughs) Welcome, Nicole. Thank you. Thank you. Always good to join you guys. And one one of our assistants who's worked in the Medicaid world for a long time, Chris LaVoy. Hey, how are you? All right. Now, you guys, you started to take the show away from me when we had the discussion, so I guess go from there. But, Nicole, go ahead. There is always room for you, Mr. Connors. Don't you worry. Well, guys, I know you have heard me say it before. Estate planning is not a DIY project. And what I mean when I say that is it's not a do-it-yourself project. Well, I would also like to add that it's not a one-and-done-it, meaning you do it and you let it go. As your circumstances change, sometimes your plan can change. When you estate plan as... A 40, 50 year old, maybe you're only thinking healthcare proxy power of attorney will. When you do it as a 60, 70 year old, you're thinking, let me maybe protect the house for the kids from medical bills. But there's more to it. You have other assets out there like your annuities. Qualified and not qualified makes a difference. Anything retirement does not count for Medicaid. But you have to know if you're doing planning, you need to plan for it all. So we've had some instances come up, and that's why we're talking about it today, where we plan and we protect the house. Before I forget, I just want to mention one thing. 
when you talk about qualified annuities and whatever, they're different. And this is why estate planning is not always that easy. Mm-hmm. In New Jersey, uh, a qualified annuity is not a protected asset from Medicaid. It is in New York. And as far as the VA, if you're a veteran who's looking at benefits, uh, an annuity, an IRA is is an asset unless you put it into a definite income stream and then it becomes income. But you have to make that choice with the VA. As far as New York State Medicaid, an IRA, a retirement asset, a qualified annuity is not an asset. It is income. We can work from and from there. But it's always important to remember these things. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I thought that was worth, you know, a point. It definitely is. And you guys think I know it all. I learn something new every time I sit down with this genius of a man. Of a man. <laughs> He's rolling his eyes at me, so I'm going to continue now. <laughs> but so when talking about annuities and how important it is to shelter the assets, Chris... Kristen LeBoy, who we have here with us, she does the Medicaid applications and she sees some of the problems that come up when we leave assets exposed. So we can protect the house. And when it's protected, what happens with the rest of the things, Kristen? I mean, it's very important to, like they mentioned before, making sure that these annuities or these assets are qualified because of the fact of having these principles be exempt. Um, But at the same time, you also want to be careful and double check with beneficiaries. You know, you think right away that you want to have a spouse be the beneficiary, but maybe in the long run, you know, maybe your spouse might need home care later on, in which then they may not qualify because of those assets. So there is ways for us to assist in protecting those assets in which, you know, I'm sure you guys have mentioned before about trust and how to protect them in that way. Um, And just really getting a hold of, of accounts. I know a lot of people, you know, a lot of seniors want to keep in their independence, but sometimes a family conversation regarding assets and knowing what things are um, can definitely be a help later in the long run. So would you say we should move all of the assets at once or just maybe the ones they're not using, like annuities, for example? Some Most of the time they sit there for the beneficiary. It's not like the stocks or the investments, right? So what would you say is probably the first thing that should be moved, if you had to say, for Medicaid planning? Well, you definitely want to make sure that the non-qualified annuities and things that are of an asset are taken care of first, right? So um, depending on on what it is, you can transfer those out first, right? So stocks, bonds, um, like I said, non-qualified annuities, but sometimes you might need to hold off on a liquid asset, right? Depending on how much it would it would be. Again, having those conversations and just making sure that you kind of have a plan um, for the inevitable. And here, here's one thing. I mean, the general rule of thumb, first we start with real estate being put in the trust because the only effective way to dispose of real estate to avoid probate and still get the assets out tax-free, and when I say tax-free, it's $6 million New York State per person, which means husband and wife, $12 million. As far as the federal government is concerned, it's $12 million out tax-free, and I'm using round numbers, but $12 million for husband, $12 million for wife. So if we want to get those assets tax-free, free free of capital gains tax, 
we do you know a trust agreement we just give the real estate away well then the kids are going to pay capital gains tax on the real estate eventually so you know it, it's the most effective way to do it so we start with real estate and the trust then we want to start with stocks that we're not going to sell because let's say you bought a stock portfolio back 30 40 years ago for ten thousand dollars and now it's worth a million dollars and i i think if some people did the examples they could show you coca-cola and it's probably gone that way in, in the numbers so that stock you don't want to sell because you're going to pay huge capital gains if you hold it in a trust till after you're gone your children your heirs don't have to pay capital gains tax so you know that's the starting points real estate and almost always real estate has gone up dramatically in value if you live in new york city and then stocks that have gone up in value those are the first two assets we put in the trust because we avoid probate on them and if we make the trust irrevocable we protect those assets from medical bills, nursing home bills. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think that was worth saying. Mr. Connors, you never interrupt. You are the star of the show, my friend. There's no such thing as interruptions. This guy gives us gold every week. How lucky are we? I mean, I get it on a daily, but you guys get it weekly, so you're very lucky to hear from him. I'm telling you now. Any other words of wisdom and pearls for us? You know, and another thing that causes confusion, people ask me all the time, can you put an IRA account in trust? And no, you can't. You can name a trust as beneficiary of an IRA account. And one of the things for Medicaid, which sometimes causes some confusion, is whether it's a traditional IRA. And I have a habit of speaking, you know, as IRAs as being traditional. But if you have a Roth IRA, there is a difference. Chris, can you explain the problem with, with the Roth IRA if you're applying for Medicaid? Yeah, so the Roth IRA is actually considered a whole asset to a Medicaid application, whereas the traditional is not. I mean, the required minimum distribution for a traditional, yes, it's considered income, which Mr. Connors mentioned earlier, we can work around that, right? But when it comes to the Roth, yes, it's a complete asset to a home care or nursing home Medicaid application. When you say complete asset, what do you mean by that, Chris? The principal of the, of the uh, IRA, so as a whole. <laughs> in other words, if you have $100,000 in a traditional IRA, you can qualify for Medicaid. If you have $100,000 in a Roth IRA, you can't qualify for Medicaid Correct. in New York State. Yep. Well, you can actually, you can, you can take it into annuitized form if you wanted to and buy an annuity that, you know, with the, with the assets from there. But again, if, if you do have a Roth IRA, there's no penalty in giving it away. Like you can't give away, you can give away an IRA, a traditional IRA. But then you're going to pay a huge income tax amount, which in some right. cases, we still might want to take that calculation because in some cases, if we have somebody going into a nursing home and they have a long life expectancy, um, we may want to take the tax hit and give the money to the spouse so the spouse has money to live on. Uh, at the same time, it's the wrong decision if the the person who owns the IRA is going to die in a short period of time because then the spouse can take the IRA, roll it over in effect. So and what I'm saying right now, sometimes give us a crystal ball and we can give you exactly the right answer. But the question becomes, in some cases, is the person going to live a long time or are they not going to live a long time? And we have to make calculations. We have to figure out what's the, the you know, whether we compromise on, on our plan or whatever, but we ha we have to consider everything. And there's not always a right answer because, you know, you think you got a 90-year-old husband and a 60-year-old wife and you say, well, the 90-year-old husband's going to die first. 
and then 60-year-old wife gets in a car accident. So you never know. But the thing is, you want to be prepared for the for whatever happens. That's one of the reasons you want powers of attorney. And, you know, getting back to the IRAs or whatever, sometimes people ask me, why do I need a will? Because everything I have has a beneficiary. But a lot of those people may have one person as beneficiary of the IRA. They may not have an alternate beneficiary. And in that case, we may be using the will to collect that IRA account. That is, believe me, not ideal. But, you know, sometimes... You know, sometimes let's say a child has both parents as beneficiary of an IRA and both of them die before the child and the child never gets around to changing it. Well, if, if they have a will, at least in that case, we have some kind of beneficiary on there. So, you know, estate planning, it's, you know, I say it sometimes, it's not rocket science, but at the same time, you got to think it out. There are a lot of things that could happen and it's not as easy as you may think. You've always got to look at the what ifs, what might happen. Are we covered if this happens? Are we covered if that happens? Definitely not rocket science, but as you can hear, it is detailed, individualized, and strategic. Okay? Those three things may qualify as rocket science one day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I really don't even know what to say, but I guess we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. You listen to Ask the Lawyer with me. My con is accompanied by... Nicole Donnelly, Chris LeBoy. Always a pleasure, guys. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. You know, obviously, every once in a while, we talk about politics here on, on this show. And with this right now, and accompanying my wife, Beth, and my son, Michael, is Fran Marone, chairperson of the Conservative Party of Kings County. Welcome to the show, Fran. Thanks, Mike. Okay, now, 
Our next guest is going to be Ina Vernikov. Can you tell the audience a little bit about her? Ina is a uh, Ukrainian immigrant who uh, was an attorney uh, and ran for office last year in for the city council on the Republican and Conservative Party lines. As a matter of fact, that seat that she won hadn't been represented by a Republican and Conservative in 100 years. So actually, Ina made history. There was a Republican 100 years ago from that district? We believe it was. Okay. All right. I wonder who that was. Uh, you have to go back 100 years to figure that out. Maybe maybe, maybe more than 100. Well, that'd be 19, 20, 22. We'll have to see. have to look that one up. Now, um, one of the things I was surprised in the election, she didn't win by a hair or anything. She, you know, she won overwhelmingly. Can you, you know the numbers? Can you tell us? Um, she, I believe she won by like 30 percent. I think she she won by a like big six, mar- better than sixty yeah, to thirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She won by a big margin. Um, and actually, we weren't surprised because uh, we knew we had a great candidate. We knew that the demographics there were, were tilting our way uh, as far as more conservative oriented voters and that's what's been happening in that community in uh, southern brooklyn yeah can you just explain i mean the community is basically people i mean people from what we used to call russia or the former soviet union of course all over whether you know like even in this office we have how many people from you know the different republics belarus ukraine Mm -hmm. uh russia itself and some republics i can't even pronounce uh I'm, I'm not joking. I can't either, so don't yeah. ask me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, Ella. <laughs> well, that's just Tajikistan. That's not too bad. Oh, very good. Okay, yeah, but you did a good job at that. There's other where Galia's from. I don't know. I can't pronounce. I don't even know what it is. It's in the middle. Too bad of, it's radio from Stevie. We could hold up a sign. Yes, but you know, like, why do you think the demographics are changing there? And is that hope? You know, I think there might be hope. And I know Dick Morris has been talking about this. Uh, you know, on this station. Long range, there's hope, I think, from those of us who are not Democrats, because there are different demographics that are slowly changing from Democrat to Republican. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think the um, the re- Russian-Ukrainian group that you're talking about is one, one group. I think the Chinese are another group that is slowly turning in that direction. And you have the, um, the Jewish uh, uh, groups also that are moving in that direction. If you look at the last elections, those communities overwhelmingly voted uh, Republican and conservative in both the presidential election and the, the city elections that just happened. Yeah, and a, a lot of times you'd be surprised in some of the areas in the city where Trump won. Well, you know what it is? I, I, I think it's a, it's a combination of things. Those All those communities have these things in common. They're concerned about their safety and security, so that's, uh, you know, public safety. That's the, the, the rise in crime. They're concerned about that. They're concerned about education for their children and, and the way the education system in our, in our city is going. And, you know, and they're concerned about, you know, businesses. They have small businesses and they're concerned about the taxes and high taxes. Those are issues that really resonate with them. And those are issues that the Republicans and the conservatives really focus on. Those are our issues. As the conservative party chair... Those are the issues that we talk about on a regular basis that we preach about to the to to our constituents, and they're really picking up on that and they're moving in that direction. But you know, not only that, like I said, I'm quoting Dick Morris or whatever has been on this station a few times, but he's he's detecting a trend where the African American vote and the Hispanic vote is gradually becoming more Republican in each election. 
I think you're going to be surprised. You're going to see more of that happening. I, I see that on a local level. I'm, you know, we're interviewing candidates right now for a state legislature, um, and and we're getting surprisingly people from parts of Brooklyn that you wouldn't expect that would want the conservative party endorsement, um, and they're minorities, and they are extremely conservative. They're they're probably more conservative than some of the other people that we have in the party. Well, you know, I think uh, Justin and I were just Justin Daly, one of the attorneys in our office. We're just talking about it how conservative some minority people are that come into our office. Um, they're hardworking people who want to try, try to save their assets for their children, and they're worried about taxes, and they're worried about crime, and they're worried about their children going to a safe place to go to school. And, you know, things, I think the political landscape, you know, sometimes I used to get depressed about what the future held. But I think things are going to start heading back in the right direction because I think certain people who were tied to the Democratic Party for years and years are going to change their mind, just like in, in not my ancestors, but some a lot of Irish people would vote Democratic until they died, and then in some cases they kept voting for the Democrats after they died, depending on what state or city they were from. Well, growing up in the South, you know, Southern Democrats, everybody was a Democrat. There wasn't even a Republican running in a lot of the states. But given the opportunity, Republicans appeared. I think what you also see, those demographics, either they know personally or they have family members that know about the lack of freedom. They come from areas where they didn't have freedom, where they had an economy where everything was equally bad. So they are concerned with what's happening now in our society where, you know, you have all this agenda of moving in the socialist agenda and the, all the mandates that have been out there, and they feel their freedoms are being taken, and they're concerned about that. They know what it's like, and they know what's going to happen if we don't stop it now. That's absolutely right. Now, Fran, if somebody's interested in getting involved in the conservative party, how would they do so, and where would they do so? Well, we have a website, brooklynconservativeparty.com. We also are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so just look at Brooklyn Conservative Party, and you'll find us on any of those platforms. Yeah, now I know. How old were you when you first got involved? Uh, 17. Okay, so. I'm not going to say how old I am now. All right. But it's been been, uh, a few decades. We remember you as the little kid. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, why, why would you think somebody should get involved right now? What? Can you give somebody some incentive? Why, I, why should I get involved I right now? I think it's the most exciting time to get involved right now. With everything that's happening in, this, in, the, in our society, in our city, in our state, in our country, and the fact that we could lose what the American dream is about if we don't do something about it now. And I think people see that. It's an exciting time to get involved. And the fact that we've had, we're having some good results with some elections where people are totally surprised that we're winning and that we're doing well in, they know that they have a chance. It's no longer, oh, why bother? We don't have a shot. They know that there's an opportunity to win here. Now, what do you think, what, what's going to happen now? Can you just explain a little bit, illegals being able to vote in elections? What's that about, and, and what elections can they vote in? That's the city elections. I, uh, the city council voted, and the mayor allowed it to, to pass, um, for non-citizens to vote in city elections. That would be for city council, uh, controller, public advocate, mayor. So from now on, anyone can vote, basically, at this point. You can be a non-citizen. You don't have to be. You have to just be living in the city for 30 days, and you can vote in the city election. Now, 
there is a lawsuit out there to try to prevent that because basically that's against the state constitution. The state constitution, you know, states that you need to be a U.S. citizen to vote in an election. Uh, how you know it, it boggles the mind. How would you even work that? Let's say you have a year where you have a city election, but you also, for whatever reason, have a special election for Congress or some kind of statewide election at the same. How how do you, what do you have different voting booths for the? This is for the non-citizens this is for the citizens and how do you keep them separate it's going to be very difficult i i wouldn't want to work for the board of elections uh they're going to have a very difficult time i don't know if they've worked out how they're going to do that yet but they're going to have to figure that out and it's going to be very difficult i'm hoping that you know the lawsuit is successful i'm hoping that it's it's knocked down as unconstitutional um and that uh, it doesn't move you know forward from here but at this stage of the game it's on the books and we do have to deal with it, but it's something that's really not appropriate. You, you know, it's a privilege to vote, and you earn that privilege by being a U.S. citizen. And I know that Ina Vernikoff, who's going to come on now, the councilwoman, that's something that she's always spoken about: the fact that you know you should you need to, you should be a U.S. citizen to vote in election. She takes that seriously because she comes from Ukraine, and she and and her parents and family came from Ukraine, and they fought to become citizens so that they can participate in society and have that right to vote. And to cheat people by doing this is wrong. And I know that that's something that she's very um, strong on as well. But like I said, it's just, and of course, you don't have to show ID to vote. Nope, you don't have to show ID. Um, it, it's, as a matter of fact, if you try to show your ID, they'll say, we don't want to see it. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the, you know, like I used to I you know, when I go up to vote, it by habit, I, I usually have my driver's license handy, but of course, nobody has to see it. And then they make you sign something that it's on a slant or something. Your signature looks a little different. And nobody seems to care. No. And when you, you sign on one of those pads and it doesn't look anything like your signature. And I'll say to them, it doesn't really, oh, it looks good enough. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, one time I got a question oh. that doesn't look like your signature. Well, you know. Yet I got 20 forms of ID in my wallet. You know, I can show them all to you, but they're not interested in that. It's 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 a screwed up world. Let me ask you something, and this is something we're going to talk to Ian about. But how come it came okay to be anti-Semitic now? I don't know, and that's that's really a serious serious problem uh, in in this city, and which is amazing that it would be a problem in this city. Um, in New York City, it's pretty amazing. I don't know. I don't know why it's become okay, but it's not okay. It's not okay to be anti-Semitic. It's not okay to, you know, to attack a, a, a group of people because of their faith or because of their ethnicity or, or, you know, that's wrong. And we really need to fight back on that. Everyone, whether you're Jewish or not, you need to fight back on anti-Semitism because that's the beginning of the end of our, our freedoms here in this country. Yeah, you know, there are too many of our clients over the years that we got to know, the people that had the tattoos in their arms from the concentration camps or whatever. And, you know, they're part of history right now. I don't think there are too many of them that we know who are alive today who went through that ordeal. But it just, it, it, it's something that should be remembered. And, you know, like I guess it's trite. It should never be forgotten. It's a horrible thing that happened in this world. And it looks like a lot of people don't care about history. They don't care, you know, ab about what happened 75, 80 years ago. It wasn't that long ago the concentration camps were there. And it, it's just like some of our elected officials don't seem to care. 
Well, they don't seem to care, but they also have an agenda. And that fits part of their agenda, whatever that is. Um, and also the problem we have is it's not being taught in the schools properly. You know, the, the children out there that are going to our public schools really are not getting the proper education on history and what, what's happening. It's, you know, there's, we can go on and on about the, the educational system and how they're teaching our children and what they're teaching them. And they're obviously not teaching them history. Okay, well, we need to take a short break. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking to Ina Vernikoff, city council representative from Manhattan Beach, Brighton Beach, and that area of Brooklyn. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. We're going to, our next guest right now, we'll offer congratulations to Ina Vernikoff, one of the newly elected city council members in New York City. Welcome to Connor's Corner. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, can you tell the audience a little bit about your background? What what area do you represent? Uh, sure. Well, first of all, I'm an immigrant from the former Soviet Union. I came here at the age of 12. Um, I'm an attorney. I represent the 48th Council District, which includes Manhattan Beach, Brighton Beach, Sheepshead Bay, Graveson, and parts of Midwood. Now, one of the things I was very surprised, not only did you win, but you won by a good solid margin. You can tell the audience about that. Uh, sure. Well, first of all, my team and myself campaigned very hard. Um, but really, we saw an opportunity for a Republican. This is a seat that hasn't seen a Republican for over 100 years. And, you know, me seeing what's going on in this country and the city, in all blue cities, I really saw an opening for a Republican to win. People were very, very angry and frustrated about the policies of the Democrats and the Democratic Party, the crime, the homelessness, the sanitation issues. And, you know, my my district encompasses many immigrants from the former Soviet Union who fled communism. And, you know, they, they as well as myself, feel that this country and the policies in the city are moving towards socialism, uh, you know, lacking freedoms, things that we escaped. And it's very scary for those immigrants to see that happening in, in this country, in America. Well, I think, I, I, you know, I agree with you because I think we, we have a, a lot of, you know, immigrants from the former Soviet Union, and they're wondering what's going on. And they say, why did we leave to some extent and what's happening in Washington or whatever? But I think one of the things that people are really concerned about on top of that is crime. What, yeah. what, what What's going on in Albany and is there anything we can do about it in the city? 
So obviously I'm not in Albany. I'm in New York City Council. I'm one out of five Republicans in the city council. Um, and before I say anything, I just want to extend my condolences to the families of two police officers who were uh, killed while in the line of duty. Um, I was at the funeral of police officer Mora. Uh, it was an incredibly sad uh, event. And, uh, you know, prayers, you know, everybody extends their thoughts and prayers, as do I. But I just want to say that thoughts and prayers are not enough. We need a real shift in policy. Uh, and, of course, it's coming from Albany. Uh, the bail reform is a state issue. And, uh, you know, it, it, what we're seeing happening is so surreal. We have criminals committing crimes, uh, owning guns, uh, using guns, you know, other crimes, getting arrested at best. And if they do get arrested, they are released. Uh, immediately, within hours, uh, we had an incident, an anti-Semitic incident uh, about a month ago. Um, it didn't happen in my district, but it happened with two boys who live in my district. They were just going to buy sneakers. Uh, they were attacked for one of them was wearing an IDF uh, sweatshirt. They were called the dirty Jew. They were hit. One of them had a black and blue. And they, they, these were just young kids who were really traumatized. We uh, went to court to watch, uh, you know, after the assailant was arrested and brought to court, we went to the bail hearing. And the, the prosecutor asked for, I believe, a $30,000 bail. The guy left the same night uh, after paying $1,000, right? So, and, and I mean, this is somebody who hit someone. And, you know, we're talking about people who have gone to commit serious, serious crimes, get released. After two hours, by paying almost nothing, I mean, the only reason he paid $1,000, which is, it's a lot, relatively, compared to what the other criminals have to pay, uh, is because we put so much pressure on the DA and, and we put it out in the press. Uh, but otherwise, he would have just been let go without, without paying any bail. So it, it's that, and it's just a, such a soft on crime attitude that really allows these criminals to feel emboldened and feel like they're allowed to do whatever the heck they want. And the attitude towards police officers, uh, to, the attitude to defund the police, to get rid of police, police are bad, they're criminals. This just further emboldens the criminals. They're on the street doing whatever they want. They know that nothing will happen. You know, the attitude is the consequences are for the police officers and police officers' hands are tied. They cannot do their jobs. And this is what we have going on in the city, in the state. Uh, so, you know, uh, on the state level and on the city level, we have people like D.A. Alvin Bragg, you know, who came out with a memo the second he got elected saying he won't prosecute many serious crimes as felonies. You know, you can go walk into a bank with a gun, rob the bank. As long as you don't kill anyone, you're going to get a misdemeanor. Right. So what we as Republicans and I know there were others and I know there were Democrats, we really pushed back. And thankfully, after the pushback, and I think after seeing that two police officers were murdered and it made the news, um, he, he had some change, change of heart and he had a, a slight change in policy and he reversed some of his policies. Um, so this is just an example of what we need to keep doing. We need to keep putting pressure on our politicians or our elected officials um, and really, really just fight to get rid of these crazy policies that are really destroying our city. 
And here's another thing people should remember. This is an election year now coming up statewide and, of course, the U.S. Congress. And don't complain if you don't vote. A hundred percent. You know what? This was actually a slogan I used when I was campaigning. Uh, you know, I kind of made it very clear to people. I really sent that message far and wide that, you know, you guys are all complaining about the garbage and the crime and the homelessness and all the things that are going on. But if you're not coming out to vote, none, none of that can change. Right. And so I, I think some of that message resonated with, with the voters, because even though I think only 10 percent came out to vote, we had we had a turnout that won, you know, maybe win 64 percent. So I think people really need to start connecting the dots between voting for the right politicians and what's going on on the streets. Now, let's change the subject. I mean, you're an immigrant. I'm the, the child of immigrants. What What is the Russian community or the, the people from the former republics, what do they think about immigration right now, especially illegal immigration? Well, I think you can safely say that the the immigrants who came for, I could at least speak for them, who came from the former Soviet Union, came here illegally. Um, you know, they waited, they went to other countries to be, you know, to, to be, it was a connecting route that they had to use. They waited for their families to come here first. They all came here legally. I think that they believe in law and order. And look, we are a country of immigrants. We support immigrants. I'm an immigration attorney. I've represented many immigrants. Uh, but I think that we also want people to come here legally. And we have issues with many of the immigrants who come here illegally. Um, and we, you know, we, I think we have to take care of our citizens and our legal immigrants first. Uh, and then think about, you know, how can we make, how, how can we legalize the ones who come here illegally? But uh, I think everybody wants law and order, and we all came here using the proper channel, channels, and we want everyone else to do the same. Ina, thank you very much for being on our show. Maybe we can talk in the future. I would like to talk a little bit. Why is anti-Semitism coming back? Why is it almost acceptable in some parts of the Democratic Party? Uh, sure. I mean, uh, I, look, I, I think the Democratic Party that was, let's say, in 1996 when I came to America, was a completely different Democratic Party. Um, I think that it's popular right now in the Democratic Party to be anti-Israel, to be anti-Semitic. I know the two are, uh, you know, confused that, you know, many of many Democrats separate, not just Democrats, many people separate between Israel and anti-Semitism. Uh, you know, as long as you are uh, discriminating against Zionists, it's not the same as, as you know, you're not anti-Semitic. Um, so, but we have a lot of anti-Semitism, particularly in the Democratic Party. I think a lot of it has to do with, within the city, it has to do with, it, it's tied into that attitude of defunding the police and, and crime. I think that if we had more police officers, if we had more police presence, if we had a different attitude towards uh, hate crimes, I think that maybe we wouldn't have that as much. But, you know, people also need to really speak out against anti-Semitism, and I don't think that we have enough leadership and politicians will really stand up against anti-Semitism. I think they're, you know, a bit afraid to stand up, and we need those kind of voices to be amplified more. 
um, it, it's, it's an unpopular subject, especially when we have the situation going on in Israel. Uh, for example, back in May, there was practically a war in Israel. And there were rockets flying all over. People were running for shelter. But the, the narrative on the other side is Palestinians are being killed. Um, that's, that's just not true. It's not factual. But because of that, it becomes unpopular to say, oh, things are anti-Semitic. This is anti-Semitic. No, 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 no. You know, it's all about Israel. It's all about Israeli soldiers killing the Palestinians. Um, so I think it becomes unpopular and people aren't willing to stand up. And I'll give you an example. In, on college campuses, we had kids who were being harassed, um, being called anti-Semitic, uh, the anti-Semitic slurs, uh, harassed uh, in social media and physically harassed and attacked. And, and they would go to their school and just request the school to make a statement condemning anti-Semitism. And the schools wouldn't do it. I have personally dealt with some of these situations uh, where I had to write a letter on my legal letterhead uh, to kind of push them to make a simple statement condemning anti-Semitism. So it's just something that's unpopular, while at the same time, these schools had no problem making statements in support of Black Lives Matter, in support of Palestinians, in support of Asian hate, which anti-Asian hate, um, which, which are all great, but you can't be a hypocrite. you got to protect your students, whether they're Jewish or not. So uh, these are some of the issues that I think we're dealing with. Listen, thank you for what you're doing. Good luck on your political career. I know it's just starting. Hopefully you have a long, bright political future in front of you. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. No problem. Send me the link if you can when it's ready. Absolutely. I shall. Thank you. Bye. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for. Because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, they are cousins, sisters, they are roots. So, St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. 
now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, now accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello, everybody. And my son, Michael. Hey, everyone. Good to hear from you. Okay, now, you know, every week I'm getting phone calls like, what's going on with Father Paul? Where's Father Paul? So forth and so on. And, you know, what I can say is he was supposed to come in on a flight in the end of January. That was canceled. And we're waiting to hear from him. He doesn't have a lot of electricity each day, and he's got very little time to, you know, communicate. But um, I do want to thank everybody who's been sending contributions because... Father doesn't have the biggest budget in the world, and those contributions are really, you know, helping him get to his goal. Beth, do you want to say what's going yeah. on right now? Um, well, first of all, everybody knows the clinic was, his small hospital was blown up, so it didn't exist. Um, and St. Francis in Beirut, which is his um, charity, is responsible now for rebuilding the 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 clinic um the one of the first things that they were worried about was that the city would just come in and confiscate the land there's no building left because it was just all rubbles all around there but um so one of the most important things is you know that he he let them know no we're still here and we're going to rebuild so what they did is first they fenced off the land that they own they fenced it off and then they made they've made a concrete foundation where they're going to rebuild the hospital um so that part for all for all of you that have made the donations to St. Francis in Beirut, thank you so much because that has been accomplished. That was huge because their land won't be taken. Um, now, Father Paul, you know that that for his surgery, um, but he's still a, a physician and he's still a priest. So he goes and he, he still sees people in various um, parts of, of Beirut. Um, so he's still performing services as a doctor and as a pastor to the people. So um, he's been very busy. Uh, it's just very sad because of COVID and all other kinds of political things, he has not been able to get back here. Um, and yes, every, everybody's saying, well, is, when's Father Paul going to come back? Um, and so many of you, oh my goodness, first of all, I, I cannot thank everyone enough who has donated to this, to this cause. You know, they're, he he does so much with so little. So I just want to let y'all know that he is so grateful. So when he comes back, when he's finally able to come back, I think we're go- I think we should have a little get together so he in person can thank all the people that have been so generous. And when I say so generous, some people have given a lot, others they have given what they could and it doesn't 
it doesn't matter how much you give. If you give a small amount, it does a lot of good. So don't worry. You know, I I don't, I just thank everybody, absolutely everybody. So we don't know yet when he's going to come back. But the minute we find out that he's landed, I will try to get us all together for a big thank you party. You know, and just uh, as another update, a few people asked me this. So, yes, his charity has been approved as a 501c3. So we can get issue letters acknowledging the charitable deduction and you can take it off your tax return uh, as, again, as a charitable deduction. So there was a little confusion on that because we had a little bit of a problem getting things going because part of the name St. Francis in Beirut is a question mark, you know, what's part of the charity or whatever. Uh, but ag- again, yes, it's been approved. If you write us a check, now if you want to send a check, I think the easiest way to do it right now is to send it to our office, make the checks to St. Francis in Beirut, and mail it to our office at 7408 Fifth Avenue. And you can you can make the check to St. Francis in Beirut. You have the address. It can be St. Francis in Beirut, 7408 Fifth Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, 11209. I'm going to say that again. 7408 Fifth Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, 11209. And I mean, a little bit of money goes a long way with Father Paul because the the guy collects about 400 euros a month in salary. And this is a guy who's got two doctorates, uh, theologian and, you know, medical doctor. So he, he's taking about 400 euros a month for himself. Uh, so all the money is going, going for the benefit of the Christians in the Middle East. All right, so I guess, you know, we'll be back next week, same times and stations, hopefully. Um, In in the meanwhile, if you want to give us a call about estate planning and elder law, give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. If you have a question about elder law, Michael, where can they email us the question? That would be at askmikethelawyer at gmail.com. That's askmikethelawyer at gmail.com. Okay, and we'll answer each question. I, we're, we're able to keep up with them. But again, if you want to schedule an appointment, schedule an appointment. We have offices in Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and Manhattan. We don't charge for the initial consultation. The first consultation is free on anything that we're talking about, estate planning and elder law. Ordinarily, when we're doing estate planning, we don't charge by the hour. We charge by the job. And usually we can figure out how much the job, how much work is going to be entailed. So you come in, we give you an estimate, you know exactly how much it's going to cost you, and then you go from there. And you got nothing to lose by coming in. And, you know, and listen, a lot of people come in, they talk about it, and they come back three, four years later. Now, hopefully it's not too late because things happen. And you look at the world today. Things happen, you know, all the time, and you want to be prepared for the future. And the worst thing you can do is bad estate planning. And I say this all the time. I'm borrowing from my our buddy Joe Piscopo, but the worst thing you can do is to do nothing at all because that's not a good plan. Whatever you put down, if you put a simple will together, even if you need more planning, if if you have a power of attorney with relatives that you can trust, a health care proxy with somebody you want to make medical decisions on your behalf if you can't speak for yourself, anything you put down is, is better than nothing. And, you know, so if you want, give us a call. 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Thank you for listening. Ask the lawyer. See you next week at the same times. Bye-bye.
Thanks so much for joining us. Kevin McCullough, are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors and Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.